Nishi once again talks about will to power as being the preeminent driving force in the human psyche. Freud, for example, talked about a need to be admired as being one of the driving forces, not to mention, obviously, his famous sexual motifs in as much as sexual drives and urges being a primary factor in a lot of what we do. I'm not sure that's really the case. I really don't think that a lot of what I do is predicated around my sexual drive and I don't think that's ever been the case for me. Um, perhaps it just varies from person to person. What is will to power? What is will to power? It would seem that it is exactly what it sounds like, which is to say that a being seeks elevation, a being, a being. So I don't mean animals. Animals, in a sense, are driven by a survival instinct. And that is really all that predominates their behavior. Now, there's a discussion on the fact that animals are driven by instincts, whereas humans have other faculties, more or less self-will, right? Willpower, self-will. So what does it mean? Well, I mean, they say, I guess a good example of they being Imam Ali, peace be upon him, he says, if you live a life of debauchery, <laughs> this is my own words, obviously, paraphrasing the first imam, so to speak. If you live a life of debauchery, vile debauchery and, and animalistic hedonism and so forth, if you live simply to satisfy your carnal desires, right, then you're living a life of an animal and you're actually worse than an animal because an animal doesn't know better, but you do. And by the way, carnal desire, that would include a lust for power as far as Islamic teachings and in fact most spiritual teachings are concerned. A lust for power, a lust for wealth even, it should be said. I may as well say it, right? Because as we progress in these talks, and I so appreciate you listening in this time of pandemics, or the pandemic. I hope you're doing well and your loved ones too and if you've suffered any losses I'm very sorry about that and for what it's worth my heart goes out to you. If you behave virtuously then you're more elevated than Angels, on the other hand, according to Imam Ali, because angels are worshipping and praying and glorifying God, the Almighty and hallowed. However, they don't have a choice in that either, right? So this whole thing of free will, free will, and it's interesting, Sam Harris, the famous atheist, who I love to hate. <laughs> I mean, I, I just put that out there. I don't really love to hate. Sam Harris. I mean, 
As far as I'm concerned, with the atheist, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay, so Daniel Dennett actually followed me on Twitter for several years. And I asked him about it, and it's a, it may have been a mistake. I asked him, why did you follow me for several years? And he wrote back, I don't know, because <laughs> he unfollowed me at some point. But for for a time, from, from, from like 2012 to 2015, or 16 even, uh, he was following me, and one of my atheist friends was very intrigued. In fact, he was the one who pointed this out to me. He said, Daniel Dennett follows 32 people in this world. I mean, he's got like hundreds of thousands of followers, obviously. He's like, he's saying, Daniel Dennett follows two, like 32 people, and you're one of them. Why, why is that? And I didn't know what to say to him, All um, save that. I had... I had sent Daniel Dennett a link to my my book wherein I deconstruct Richard Dawkins. So unfortunately I'm getting carried away with syntax and hyperbole in, in terms of my style of speaking. I, I I guess the ego in me is getting kicks so when I le when I re-listen to these podcasts, I'm like, wow, that sounds great and wow, what a what a great choice of words you know what I mean like the the whole thing of self adoration but now I'm getting caught up in that cycle but on the other hand I do try and choose my words carefully at least in these podcasts now simply put I wrote a book a book 10 years ago I wrote a book I'm still kind of I mean I'm not like I there was like two times or three times in 10 years that I made an effort to get it published Right, so I reached out to a traditional publisher, or like twice I reached out to traditional publishers. I emailed like a couple hundred publishers, got a couple of bites actually, but for some reason just never followed through. I don't know, I think it's all about timing. And you know, I'll get to the point of this um, episode shortly. I really appreciate the fact that if you're listening, then you're used to my tangential digressions. However, you should know that I do return to my point, uh, be it even a follow-up podcast. Uh, at least this is my goal. My goal is not just to ramble and give you a stream of consciousness. My goal is to share with you thoughts that I've formulated over decades of thinking about these essential questions. Really the ultimate question. There's only one. There's only one question. Why am I not feeling as good as I want to feel. This is it. There's nothing else that factors into that. If you're feeling low, that's the only thing that is important. And everything else is secondary. So how you feel is really what the whole thing is about. How you feel, how you feel. And that being said, I mean, that's not even really the topic of this episode. But in any case, so if you live in a bestial life, Right, you you just like live like an animal as such, quote unquote. Now, and on the one hand, that kind of living and behavior is glorified nowadays. You've got the classic anti-hero, and by the way, I'm the same as the next guy. I love Pulp Fiction. I hero worship Tarantino more than you than you know. Tarantino is Tarantino is a walking encyclopedia of movie lore. Like if you've ever seen him talking about movies. 
you, it will you it'll blow your mind. He'll be talking about sitcoms from the 60s and Western uh, TV shows from the 50s and directors. And he's really the ultimate movie buff and slash nerd, right? Nerd. He used to work at um, somewhat well-known, well, I, I guess it would be now, but a well-known video store. I think it was somewhere in the Hollywood, California or Los Angeles, California kind of well, I mean, Hollywood is in Los Angeles, but somewhere in Hollywood or Los Angeles, there was a video store that he worked at for many years. Obviously, dreaming about right being a being a being a being a screenwriter or a movie maker. Well, let me say this to you: anyone out there who is a a writer, b is interested in becoming a movie director, the way to do it, if you haven't figured it out, is to write scripts. Now, it's not easy to get those scripts read, right? Because average agent and average studio and whoever else would be a channel for such scripts, just the same as in publishing, like book publishing, they get li literally hundreds of scripts a week. Like you could get 50 to 100 scripts put on your desk in a day. And you're like, oh, my script is the best and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. I've got a course on Udemy, Udemy, as they like, to have it pronounced, um, which is the University of Me or something like that. U D E M as in Mary Y dot com. Udemy. If you don't know, it's an online learning platform. It's a pretty awesome platform. It's actually the preeminent online learning platform. My course on there kind of bombed. I have on on paper or you know when you look at my profile i've got like over a thousand students but most of those the vast majority of those are free students so i put out free coupons so i could get some ratings and i think it's an amazing course for what it's worth it's called how to land the job you want in two weeks and to this day i insist i mean not in the time of the pandemic but i insist that finding a job i tell people that i i wish i had a way to monetize this i wish i was like a sam ovens sam ovens consulting.com you know, he has figured out how to monetize any skill. Any person can start a consulting practice just by teaching other people their expertise. Of course, you've got to finesse your approach and sales and marketing skills. And if you're like, oh, I don't like sales. At this point in, in, in world history, if you're saying th things like, I don't like sales, then that's a shame. That's a shame because you need sales right? You must have figured that out by now. Everywhere you go, there's like hundreds of other people, if not thousands, who look like you, talk and walk like you, and have the same goals and aspirations as you, not to mention the same skill set and experiences. So the only, only, only leverage and advantage you have is how you approach your target prospect, <laughs> be it uh, a university admissions officer, interviewer, potential spouse, potential business partner, some dude on Fiverr that you want to do some programming for you. In any case, so in my course, I talk about the fact that the secret to getting a job in two weeks is not sending out resumes. You can send out you can send out the statistics about 20 years ago the statistics were 1 in 1500 resumes it seemed harsh at the time but if you just think about it you send out how many resumes do you need to send out to get a job interview it could be anywhere from 50 to 150 
right? And then how many job interviews before you land a job? At least five to ten. So we're already talking about hundreds of resumes that you must send out. So let's just say you've got to send out at least 500 resumes. I mean, as a nice conservative number, is it two or 300? I don't know. In any case, it's hundreds. It's a lot of work. People are spending hours filling out forms, doing psych tests and all this kind of stuff online, wasting time. Whereas there's only one and one thing that is important in sales, which is to approach and I guess it would be convince or persuade as such the decision maker. It's not really a case of persuading anyone about anything. It's a case of every person is every person is driven by their self-interest. Right? So once again, Freud says that we want to have a feeling of importance. We want to be admired. And this is one of your driving forces in life, according to him. And of course, this is true. We're all over Facebook and we want likes. And I'm the same way. I post stuff on Twitter and I'm like, you know, every time someone likes it, I'm like, this is great. You know, it's a it's validation. Right. So, I mean, on the other hand, um, Nietzsche says it's will to power. Right. So regardless of what it is, in a more general sense, it is self-interest. We do things out of self-interest. And then if you break that down, this is obvious and you've probably heard this. It's the case. It is the case. We do things to avoid bad results and outcomes and to attain good results and outcomes. So my whole thing is the ultimate outcome is feeling good, right? And you might say, oh, well, just go and, and drink some alcohol or, you know, smoke some drugs or, you know, uh, go lie on the beach. The problem with that is that those solutions are not tied to your well-being and 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 a sense of peace those outcomes are tied to pleasure you get pleasure unfortunately pleasure actually removes you and and moves you further away from your desired outcome in life and outcomes in general so just as you need to uh send out movie scripts you need to send out resumes but the real thing to do in both these situations and i suppose in publishing so this is advice to myself you need to find someone you need to find people you need to find an agent and you need to find a creative way to approach these people here here's an idea if you really are into traditional publishing or or uh, let's say a script let's say you have a script first of all don't email it to people you can and and there are portals where people will say oh we'll, ex we'll accept scripts and manuscripts online and yada yada however you want to mail it to someone and if you're really good you mail it in a self-addressed stamped envelope and if you're really good if you're sending out screenplays then figure out what the standard format of a screenplay is there's a certain way that you put them together Right. I mean, there's a certain format that they follow in terms of it's not very complicated. A 12 year old could figure it out in five minutes once they're instructed on it. Publishing a book, for example, you've got your, you know, it's it's one it's one sided. You don't d double side. You don't print on both sides. You, you print on one side of the sheet. You have your name, last name, top right. And you have the page number, bottom, middle, something like that. It's 12 point type and it's double spaced. Right. And then it's on a single side because it makes it easy to read. That's what they're used to. And if you send your manuscript any other way, you're practically reduce your chances of being read by 50 percent. Why? Because you didn't take the time to 
figure all that stuff out. And you might have these thoughts of, well, my work is good enough. Unfortunately, it's not. It's exactly what I've been saying. If your approach is not correct, the work or the product or the service is immaterial. Now, going back to what drives us, self-interest. So, you want to avoid harm, you want to um, achieve good outcomes, avoid bad outcomes, and as I said earlier, ultimately, the ultimate outcome is feeling good about yourself. Frankly, you might call it happiness. I guess I've returned to this notion. Happiness really is the ultimate. I used to say for years, happiness is the ultimate. And then someone would say, what do you mean by that? And people would argue with me about it, of course. And then I would say, well, think about it. If you were unhappy, nothing else matters. And if you're happy, then nothing else matters. So how can there be anything else? Happiness, therefore, is the ultimate. And although this is a very bland kind of perspective and it's, you know, gross generalizations and perhaps even distortions, <laughs> there is a lot to be said about it. Now, I went from happiness, thinking happiness is the ultimate, to to more of a Nietzschean mode, I would I would have to say, of meaning. Meaning. What is meaning? So... Nietzsche has this, Nietzsche, Nietzsche has this quote which is often misinterpreted by self-help gurus. You might have heard, if you have a why, then the what doesn't matter. That's actually, yeah, actually that is the right quote, but it's been used in a different way. So what Nietzsche meant is, if you have a why, then you can deal with any what. What that means is, if you're suffering, if you're suffering, because he suffered a lot, just like every great person, just like you yourself, and just like I said on yesterday's episode, life is suffering. The majority of life is, is if, if, you know, you know, going from a general sense of unease and, and tension to all-out suffering. I, I, I submit to you, this has been my experience. Now, on the other hand, I mean, is there beauty and profundity in the suffering? I, I dare say there is. I dare say that suffering is actually the real deal. I mean, I, I don't know. That makes me sound crazy, I'm sure. But that's really what it boils down to. Suffering is, is, is sublime. Suffering really is sublime, and it's not a case of wanting the suffering. Because, of course, no rational person can accept that you would want a negative outcome or situation for yourself, or that you would want pain just for its own sake. That's, you know, that's masochistic. If you want pain for yourself, then you would obviously then seek to inflict pain on others. In any case, if you have any why, you can put up with any what. Okay, so going back to what is the essential driver? The essential driver, because the real question I've been wanting to answer in this series of podcasts is, A, the self-help work. Can you take an average Joe, a schmuck like myself and our yourself, and can you turn them into a Gary Vaynerchuk or an Alex Becker or an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates? Were these people always that way? Just like 
many if not most serial killers a come from bad backgrounds b started having very sadistic thoughts at a young age and torturing animals for example and other strange things like there were a lot of them if not most of them were pyromaniacs for some reason serial killers like setting things on fire right it's a matter of control actually they set things on fire because they have a sense of control and they would come back to the scene and watch the fire trucks and you know it's just a control thing but the question is serial killers did did they start out that way were they made did they have a choice i mean i guess we'd like to think as a society the answer to all these questions is yes if a person goes often off on an aberrated course of um action then they are accountable right but unfortunately the hard fact of it is that most serial killers they really were abused by like horrible parents emotionally and or physically and most of them went through horrible childhoods right now there are exceptions i mentioned this again in a previous podcast dennis rader people like dennis rader i guess and ted bundy and uh you know there's there's a handful that basically came from nice middle class families and there really was no reason for them to have gone uh you know cuckoo as it were sam berkowitz the son of sam uh late 70s new york he would shoot people with a pistol like girls of a certain type with certain hairstyle right and i guess from what i remember he came from a relatively normal family but a lot of these people like ed gein and ed, um ed kempfer right and um you know, I guess Ramirez. Ramirez is interested. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Um, his dad seems to have been slightly authoritarian, to say the least. His mom, however, was just the epitome of, you know, just devotion and love. And frankly, similar to Hitler's mom, right? People talk about, like my neighbor was telling me recently, my neighbor is Jewish, great guy by the name of Shane, married to a beautiful lady by the name of Tally, amazing people, amazing kids. They've got a trampoline in their backyard and y'all see them, their heads bobbing up and down over the fence from time to time. The kids, it's so amazing. They're such a beautiful family and I feel so blessed that we've got such great neighbors and we've got such a nice neighborly thing going on nowadays. We go jogging together and uh, we're actually even are involved in some business together right working on like uh, a software deal as it were um in any case um shane said something the other day to the effect that hitler's dad or hitler had uh, was abused as a child and you know i dare say i corrected him because it's really not the case hitler's dad wasn't some drunken abusive yada yada like he used to drink a lot like a lot of germans okay so these guys were obviously austria and it's like a little village i forget the name but he was a civil servant and he actually did all right for himself right so he was authoritarian in terms of typical old school uh kaiser uh mentality germans right whatever that means right but um yeah he wasn't like abused now was he beaten um and so forth so on the one hand he didn't have a terribly abusive dad he had a mom who on the other hand was so protective and loved him and doted on him so much etc same as richard ramirez bit of an authoritarian dad 
right? They came up from Mexico, they settled in Texas. You know, so the question, the question once again, why am I talking about serial killers? Why are we all obsessed with serial killers? Why are we obsessed with mafia figures? Why are we obsessed with celebrities? Have you noticed we're less obsessed with politicians? We like to hold them to account, but the reason for all these things is the, the basic question, I think. This is what I think. You see, we are interested in others. It's not always a bad thing. You shouldn't take it in a bad way. Oh, well, they're so nosy. It's simply that we're trying to corroborate our inner system of thinking and feeling and values and whatnot. We're trying to seek external cooperation. So we learn and teach others. This is what we do as humans. We study others either, uh, you know, um, apparently and in an obvious fashion like I'm doing, right? It doesn't mean I'm spying on my neighbors and reading the gossip columns, although, of course, that stuff is is, is interesting. Not spying on your neighbors, but, yeah, the, the gossip column and celebrity tidbits. As much as we like to think that we're cultured and civilized, you know, we take a lot of interest. And, I mean, I was going to say we take delight in, in reading about the, the foibles of others. I mean, this is for sure. Obviously, there's an aspect of hey, uh, you know, these celebrities, they're not really all they're uh, cooked up to be or what have you. But, you know, the deeper motive as far as I'm concerned is that we want to better our situation. We want to to create a good outcome. This is what we want. We want, good, we want a good outcome. And when you boil it down, there's just right now and how you're feeling right now. So ultimately, I mean... The purpose of this episode was to kind of now was to kind of move into the realm of spirituality because self-help is actually redundant, right? There's plenty of people who are super successful and they don't subscribe to self-help, right? And it's like, well, I guess they didn't need it. They know these things or they learned them from people or something like famous example is Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't read. Apparently, like now, does he consume content? Of course he does. And he 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 um, encourages others to produce and consume as much content as you can, frankly. Like he's got this famous kind of flip book of, you know, like how to create 96 Instagram posts in a week and stuff like that. I mean, I guess what he is saying is that you need to put yourself out there. And in doing so, you obviously create a brand, but you learn about yourself. You see... Gary Vaynerchuk is my hero in this endeavor, right? I say on the beginning, I mean, I kind of included him in a tweet yesterday and I was thinking, shoot, what if he actually reads the tweet and then goes to my podcast and, and sees the caption on it? The caption on this podcast says, I've read all kinds of self-help books and CDs and yada yada since the age of 14 for 30 years and it hasn't helped me one little bit. Has it helped you? It's, it's a marketing move, obviously, because on the one hand, I've learned so much from, and Gary, by, by the way, I, I mentioned Gary in that opener, right? So, hey, Gary, if you ever listen to this, then I'm hoping you haven't unfollowed me on Twitter yet, bro. <laughs> That's the only thing I've got going for me uh, sometimes, it seems. So, yeah, so um, in any case, yeah, so essential questions. We're running up on the half hour mark, and I really can't go on like this without setting straight the record. The record is we're going to be moving into spirituality. The record is that with regards to will to power, this is a realization that I came to over the last 
few months and it, it was a case of knowing something theoretically and then realizing it from within like they say in Amway the multi-level marketing business they say that the business needs to go from your head to your heart and once it goes to your heart then that's it then it's all over you know the buck stops at you or what have you you know they're all the stops are out what is it like you know you're off to the races anyway you know what I'm saying so it seems self-evident that a person who believes in himself and believes that they can succeed and should succeed and deserve to succeed you know they will succeed I mean on the one hand then the question is how do you how does such a state arise in your mind how do you create up such a belief in yourself um, and then on the other hand uh, it's it seems obvious so we're gonna talk about that question uh, we're gonna talk about spirituality versus self-help because another very interesting kind of dichotomy is that in self-help we pump ourselves up you know I'm great I'm the best I'm master of my domain I'm in charge and so forth on the other hand uh, in spirituality it's the opposite right hum humility and humbleness and you know like Lao Tzu said that the sage by lowering and humbling themselves before the masses is elevated above them right so and by the way you can't really use that thinking okay I'll lower myself and therefore I'll be elevated that's a polit politician move what you gotta do is you really gotta feel more humble and I'll end off saying this you're not better or the same as others you're worse than others and the reason is because you know your failings and faults and sins whereas you don't know squat about the next person so maybe we'll take up talking about something like that uh, in later episodes thank you for listening take care of yourself and stay safe